Colin Wilcox acknowledges the traditional custodians of the lands on which this podcast is recorded. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and to all First Nations people joining us today. Hello, I'm John Hutchinson. Welcome back to another instalment in our Equity Capital Markets podcast. Um, like the Spring Carnival, AGM season is just around the corner. Uh, today, I'm joined by corporate partner Deborah Chu to talk about what to expect. That's from the AGM season and how to be best prepared for it. Deborah, welcome back. Thanks, John. Glad to be back. Um, first question, Deborah. Um, so we've emerged through the COVID virtual meeting era. Um, how are meetings being held these days? Ah, well, that's a very interesting question because, of course, the options are fully in-person, fully virtual, or hybrid, which is both, basically. Um, And I've seen some statistics that indicate so far this year, because there have been companies who have held their AGMs in the first half of the year, if they had, say, a December 31 financial year end. But apparently, it's more common now or getting more common to have the meeting be fully physical. So a little over or a little under a third of the AGMs this year have been physical as opposed to in previous years where it was under 30%. And certainly the most popular type of meeting is a hybrid one. So both virtual and in-person somewhere. And fully virtual meetings seem to be very unpopular. Only about five or six percent of meetings are being held that way. So it's an interesting development in going with in-person meetings in particular, because I think there's a bit of a pushback against that because shareholders may feel that it facilitates shareholder um, involvement if the meeting is hybrid or fully virtual rather yeah. than being in person because you have to rock up to the place. True. But I guess in person, you get a chance to um, have a cup of tea with the management, with the board and to ask those questions which you want to ask, but obviously a very small minority of the shareholders. Yeah. So that's, that's the benefit of the hybrid meeting because, yeah. of course, you have the in-person element for those who want to show up and have yeah. that face-to-face, sure. and you also have the virtual. Yeah. The issue that you always have, though, with a meeting that's virtual or hybrid for the virtual component is one of the requirements under the Corporations Act for virtual meetings is that every shareholder on the whole needs to have a reasonable ability to participate in the meeting. And interestingly, that includes both participating orally and in writing. So you have to, technically speaking, give shareholders the opportunity to actually speak. And I have to say, I have dealt with a virtual meeting platform provider for another company um, who didn't have the capability in their platform no. I think to the allow for closest, questions. Yeah, the closest I've seen is um, the ability to submit questions through the platform. 
But the exactly. The Corporations Act does require yeah. the ability to submit questions and to comment both yeah. orally and in writing. So I think a lot of companies may not actually be complying with that. Yeah. Um, and moving on from, from that, um, so once we get to the meeting, what, what are you seeing as the sort of typical resolutions to expect on an AGM, apart from the obvious being the re-election of directors? Yeah, the a very common one, of course, is the placement capacity resolution for the extra 10% yeah. under listing rule 7.1a. That's only available for companies that aren't in the ASX 300. Yeah. And you have to um, get that approved each year at your AGM by special resolution. So there's a bit of a bar yeah. that you have to jump through every year to comply with that. But it can be really useful for a company that's not in the ASX yeah. 300 to have that extra 10% capacity above the 15% that you have generally under listing rule 7.1. So there are some hoops that you need to jump through if you want to use that particular capacity. So for example, any equity issued under it has to be for cash consideration only and can't be at a price which is less than 75% of the 15-day VWAP. But you know, if you want to raise funds, and you're in that smaller segment of the market, um, having that capacity can be really useful. The other thing that companies often do, and this applies to any company that's listed, not just the below ASX 300 companies, is to get their placement capacity refreshed by having shareholders approve previous issuances that have been made earlier in the year under the 7.1, 15% capacity. And that can be really useful because it gives the company, of course, that much extra room to raise further capital, though that can be an issue for shareholders because there is, of course, always the issue of dilution in using your placement capacity. So it's sort of a two-edged sword. It's something that companies need to consider when yeah. they're thinking about what sort of capital raisings or other yeah. share issues they may want to do in the next year. Yeah. And um, issues of securities to management, directors and management under ESOPs, um, that's a pretty yeah. common resolution. Yes, it is. and. Uh, again, it can be a little controversial depending on what the equity is being issued for. So options to directors, for example, they would need to be approved by shareholders because any equity being issued by a listed company to a director or other related party needs to be approved by shareholders first. And usually the terms of options would need to be, for example, at a premium to the exercise price and to be structured in a way so that it's not basically a gift to the related party, 
to get the shareholders to approve it. Um, also relating to employee share option plans or other employee incentive schemes under the listing rules, those sorts of plans need to be approved every three years in yeah. order to um, have equity issued under plans like that be uh, not included in the company's placement capacity. So that's a really common one, but because it's only every three years, it can be one that companies forget about, but yeah. Yeah, it's important. And also it's a good opportunity because the Corporations Act changed a year or two ago to put into the Corporations Act the disclosure exemption that used to be under an as a class order for employee incentive schemes. The provisions are now in the Corporations Act, but they're a little bit different than the class order had provided for. So companies that relied on the class order will need to update their um, plan yeah. rules to reflect those Corporations Act changes. And now it's a good time to do that if you're going to have the shareholders approve the yeah. plan rules anyway. Sure. Um, you touched on possible controversy there a, a moment ago, um, just on that vein, in that vein, REM reports and preparation for first or second strike resolutions. Um, ah, yes. What, what's Always what's a, going on there? A sensitive area. Uh, according to what I've been seeing in the market, this has been a somewhat sensitive strike season with strike first strikes going up from previous years. I saw a statistic which said that the number of strikes has increased about 12% for yeah. this year so far compared to 8% in 2022. And quite frankly, that's probably a reflection of the current market and the yeah. economic uncertainty because sure. In my experience, companies get strikes, not necessarily because they have any great problem with the remuneration being paid, but really as a statement against how the company has been doing, and in particular, how the share price has been doing. Yeah. So that's, that's an issue that companies need to be on the lookout for, particularly if they've had, say, operational challenges or yeah. if their share price has been stuck in a rut sure. they they should be thinking about whether they yeah. might get a first strike this year yeah. or even a second one yeah. um, and companies who had a first strike last year quite frankly will need to have done things really before now in order to position themselves not to get a second one. Yeah, um, which I guess takes us on, as I mentioned earlier, AGMs do provide a rare opportunity for the small shareholders to make themselves heard. Um, and we, so we get to the part of the meeting which is asking for questions from shareholders. Um, what do you think we can sort of see happening there? Well, again, 
how a company has done in the past year is going to be an important driver of the kinds of questions they'll get from shareholders and even if they get any questions at all. So if it's been a good year, you would hope that the questions will (laughs) just be Dorothy Dixers to give the company an opportunity to highlight how good it's been. Though I suspect for a lot of companies, it will be more at the other end, particularly in this sort of economic environment where the number of companies just aren't necessarily progressing all that well. So it's important that the company and the board be prepared to respond to queries from shareholders about their operational difficulties and strategies going forward. And of course, ESG, um, environmental, social, and governance issues are still very high profile. And I think a number of companies have been getting and will continue to get questions about the company's environmental policies in particular and the sustainability of various aspects of the company's business, particularly if the company is in an area where environmental concerns are prevalent or where the company has touted various sustainability initiatives yeah. Uh, shareholders are going to want to know how that's going. Sure. Deborah, thanks very much. Um, any Anything else to add before we, we wrap up? Um, a lot of useful guidance there. Uh, well, <laughs> I will note one thing that I think companies tend to forget because it's actually something that you need to do in advance of sending the notice of meeting. And that's to tell the ASX when the AGM is going to be, and also when the closing date for nominations of people for election as director need to be given to the company. So the company needs to tell the ASX and therefore the market what that date is gonna be, what that closing date is in order to give shareholders time if they were so inclined to nominate a person for director and that needs to be announced to the ASX at least five business days before the closing date and companies in my experience actually sometimes forget that because it's an easy date to forget. Thanks, Deborah, and thanks everyone for listening today. As always, please get in touch with us if you have any questions. You can find our details on our website, which is forlandwilcox.com.au, or connect with us on LinkedIn. If you enjoyed today's episode, then please rate, review, or follow our podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you. This podcast is not legal advice and should not be relied upon as such. You should always obtain legal advice about your specific circumstances.